everyone and happy father's day to the dads glad to see you in the service today and and uh, i am delighted that you're here to worship take the first day of the week we're in a series called grace it really is amazing and this is week number five in the series so if you have a bible go with me to romans we'll begin in chapter eight we're going to just leaf our way through a few pages today and since it's father's day i'm i'm pitching a softball with a high arc okay it's just going to be easy squeezy for you guys today. Okay? In our series, um, we've been talking about grace. And, and in it, it's been fairly what I call vertical. In other words, between you and God, uh, what's been happening. And, uh, and in it, what we've talked about is a salvation by grace through faith. We've understood it this way, that grace is unmerited favor. It's of God towards us, Right? If you were to limit it down to one word, um, the scholars tell us it's the word favor. You have been favored. In fact, when Mary finds out she's going to give birth to the baby Jesus, what does the angel say? You have been highly favored. Get this? You have been graced of God. And so this is a fairly vertical thing, and it's, it's me, it's you, we're here, and it's God here, and this is, he has reached down towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so he reaches down towards us. He doesn't stand at a distance. He actually takes initiative. And this is what, this is what maturity does. This is what perfection does. Takes initiative to solve the problem. And then we respond in faith. We just say, we believe, and we embrace him back in faith. So it's kind of a two-way street at this point. And we enjoy the favor of the Lord. Some people shut it off and never get it. And then others receive it and realize, oh my goodness, it's just a, a wonderful thing. And they take it and, and don't miss out on it. Since it's Father's Day, I'll tell you a story my dad used to tell. Are you ready? He tells this story. My dad has these great stories from like the 1920s and 30s. And I don't know even where he got them. Probably from books from the 1940s. But, and... Uh, he tells the story of a guy who wanted to leave Europe and travel to the United States. And he saved all of his money. He saved all of his money to get a ticket to take a ship that would bring him to America. And he didn't have enough, so he saved and saved and saved. And he finally got enough. Then he saved enough to buy a box of crackers and a slab of cheese. That was what he was going to eat on the ship. And the, 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 uh, the trip would take, I think back then it, it took... Uh, 10 days to make the trip. And so he finally saves enough money not only for the ticket for, bu- uh, for a box of crackers and a slab of cheese. And uh, he says goodbye to his family and he gets on the boat. And of course people are partying on the boat and they're walking up and down the deck and they're going to the dances and they're going to the dining hall and they're eating meals on the ship and they're having a great time and they're just having a great day. And he's in his room and he's eating crackers uh, with cheese on them. And then occasionally, to, to mix it up a bit, he'd go out onto the deck and eat crackers with cheese on it. And, and then what happened was this. They, they find out they're just about a day away from reaching New York's harbor. And they realize they're going to get in and everybody's going to cheer and he goes out to the deck to see that, and he brings his crackers and cheese with him. And they're waiting to see, they're going to see this on the horizon. And this is like day nine, and their tenth day they, they go into the harbor. 
And he's there with his crackers and cheese, and the guy says to him, that's a nice snack. He says, what, I've been eating the whole trip. And the guy says to him, didn't you know, when you bought your ticket, that included the dining hall. And he missed out on all that. And so he still got to his destination, but he didn't enjoy it like the others did. Okay, there's the sermon right there. Is that it? We go home now. You're, you're, you're headed to heaven. Why not enjoy the trip? That's the real benefit, the real bonus of grace, if you could enjoy it. Okay, so enough of my dad. Isn't that a great illustration? Yeah? Okay. When I get to heaven, I'll tell my dad, hey, they liked it. <laughs> so I enjoyed it if you didn't. What I want to talk to you about now is not the, the vertical relationship. I want to talk to you about how we relate to one another in light of the grace that we do have. So this, in light of this, now how do I relate with other people? Okay? You know, so, so when we think about this, this changes the equation a whole bunch. You know, t- when we think about residing with God, that'll be glory, but when residing with saints below, well, that's another story, right? You know that's true. Romans chapter 8. Because I am graced. Here we are. I want to give to you three points today and with, with, a, with probably eight or ten passages. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop there. There's no condemnation. Get this? There's nothing stopping this relationship. You're free of the guilt. Okay? Point number one. Because I am graced by God... I can let go of the guilt. I can let go. Why? Because he said so. You get this? It isn't that I'm making it up. It isn't that I'm thinking about it and I I decide to put it out of my mind. It isn't that I'm going to pretend it's not there. No. I can let go of the guilt because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm in Christ. There's no condemnation. Skip down to verse 28. And we know... And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. He is up to something good in our lives. He is working it together for good. And my job, get this now, he's working it for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. My job is really to love him. His job is to work out the path of how it's going to end up good. Now, I don't always understand how God's going to work in my life for it to be good. My job, though, is to figure that out. My job is to make sure that I love him. You get this? And if I do that, he'll work through me something good, something that will be graced. Verse 31, what then shall we say that in response to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, no one can be against us. Why? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not uh, spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If you get this, I hope this, you get this. God is in it for good, to work it out in my life. My job is to love him. And, and so who can stand against it? No one. And if he's not going to spare his son, that's telling me he's not going to stop at anything. He will graciously provide what I need. Verse 37 No, in all things, we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. We will be the victors. We will be victorious at the end of this. We don't know how it's going to end. But sometimes, before we can relate to other people, we have to relate to ourselves. I hope you get this. The way you relate to yourself is oftentimes the way you relate to other people. And the way you relate to other people is going to, affect the, is going to be affected by the way you think Jesus relates to you. And if you think Jesus is in heaven like this, with his hands on his hips going, wait till I get my hands on that kid. If that's the way you think he views you, that'll be the way you treat other people. See, Jesus' hands are not on his hips. You get this? They're wide open for a hug. See the difference? He's not willing, the Bible says, that any should perish. So when I relate to other people, since God relates to me not like this, but like this, then there's the question, how am I relating to other people? Like this or like that? Okay? All right, point number two. I can be supportively productive because I'm so graced of God. I can be supportively productive with other Christians. By the way, have you ever met people who are so guilt-driven that they are, the I call them the guilt cops? You know what I'm talking about? You don't feel guilty, but you should. Mm-hmm. I once, uh, I, I had a friend, and he, I found out later he wasn't much of a friend. He was a pastor. I'm just telling you that, because not all pastors are normal and nice like me, okay? So... This guy says to me, uh, my job is to bring them down. He said, they're floating along in life, and on Sundays, I bring them a dose of reality. Boom, down. I said, whatever happened to, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Whatever happened to rejoice with me? And, I mean, whatever happened to triumphal entry? I mean, we are more than conquerors. So I had just like the opposite. I wanted the gathering of God's people to be a high point of the week, not the lowest point. That was just me. So, okay, back on track. Number two, I can be supportively productive with other Christians because I'm so graced by God. Uh, Turn the page again, chapter 12. Verse three, for by the grace, there's our word, given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, so get a real view of who you are, sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that is distributed to each of you. Verse 4. For just as each one of us, uh, the body with many members, with these members uh, do not have all the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. Now stop right there. Go back to verse Back to verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to you, it says only by the grace of God, get this, I can be supportive. Why? Because I know who I am. There's sober judgment about who I am. And everyone doesn't have to be like me. Okay? Everyone doesn't have to process their faith the same way I do even. Some are going to have different gifts. Verse 4. Each one of us in the body has many members. Those members have different functions. You may operate in the faith differently, but you're still in the faith, and you're still a vital part of the body of Christ. We have differing gifts. Verse verse 6 goes on to say, so let those people be. Just back off. People are different, 
different doesn't mean they're wrong. It means they're different. And different is good. It's, it adds the variety to life. And so I can be supportive with other people who are different than me because I know God is up to something good in their life, and I know he'll work that out. It's just a matter of time and space. And so he calls us by his grace, and I can trust him to do what's incomplete in their life, just like I'm trusting him to do what's incomplete in my life. Now, let me go a step beyond what the text is saying. And sometimes I can stand back and see how God has worked in their life right now in a way he worked in my life that same way a few years ago, and I, I see God working in their life, and that spurs me on to greater faith too. So you understand how even the difference is good for us to humble us, to see we don't have it all figured out. Chapter 14, keep reading, verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling or disputing uh, over disputable matters. He's saying you can accept each other even when you differ. And, and this is, is in the context. Um, I, I know I skipped some uh, passages. Let me just s- summarize. It, when you start in Romans 1, he's talking about all people in all places and how we're apart from God and we need a Savior. Chapter 3, all of us have sinned. Chapter 6, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. By chapter 8, there's no condemnation. Chapters 9, 10, 11 are actually like a parenthetic of, of Romans. That parenthesis is uh, to Jews and about Jews. And the Apostle Paul writes, I would, I would love to give my life for the Jewish people, that they would come to know the Savior too, like I have. So it's kind of a parenthetic. So then you get to 12, he says, I beg of you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your lives as, as a living sacrifice. Then you don't have to pass judgment. Because you've laid your life down. It's no longer your own. You live for a higher calling. So when they get to chapter 14 now, he's actually addressing a hot topic. And that hot topic is meat. It isn't our topic today, but it's meat sacrificed to idols. What they had back in the day was they would go uh, down the street and there would be a temple to a false god. And outside of it, there would be someone slaughtering an animal and they would sell off part of that slaughtered piece to someone who's going to go in and worship. And they would offer that as a sacrifice. Well, not all of the cow or the ox or whatever the animal was of the day, not all of it went into the worship service. And so at the end of the day, they would take that animal to, uh, that to, animal to the market and sell off the bits of it. So people would get a deal on it. It's a, sorry, it's a blue light special. At the end of the day, it's on sale. And we didn't have refrigeration, so you buy it today or it goes bad tomorrow. And so... People would go in and buy it because it's reduced. You're not going to get the whole auction at part of it, but you're going to get a deal on it, okay? And Christians were saying, I can't eat part of a cow that was offered to a false god because it's too much connection to a false god. So they couldn't do it. They just couldn't do it. And their faith, now, knowing that, Romans 14, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Okay? If he can't eat it, let it go by. If it's going to bother him, then don't, don't, don't let that be what divides you. Okay? You're going to lunch, and it's your custom at lunch to have a glass of wine with lunch. But you're going to lunch, you're meeting a guy who's in the recovery alcoholic program. Do not order the wine. Why? Because you're going to just flaunt it to him. That's, that's a stumbling, that's going to hurt him. Now, did I say you could never have glass? No, I didn't say that. What I'm saying is, don't do it with that guy to flaunt him, to make him feel bad, like he can't, na-na-na-na-na-na. That's kids' play. 
See, that's just middle school. And he's saying he's a weaker brother. He needs that. And all of us carry with us a culture. You just, we just don't realize it. I grew up in a, a church culture. Let me tell you what real Christianity is like. I'll tell you what, my church culture. On Sunday, you dressed up, you went to church, then you went home and you overate. That's what you did. Uh, you'd have roast, and you'd have roast with rope. That's what good Christians had, is roast with rope on it, and then you fought over the rope. And you couldn't go outside and play, but you could stay in the house and watch football on TV. That was okay. But you couldn't go outside and play football because it's the Lord's Day. I don't know where those people were playing football, but it wasn't Sunday there because I don't know what day it was. Isn't this crazy, the culture? I went to a Christian camp where, where uh, the guys could swim in the morning and the girls could swim in the afternoon. What is that? And they asked, I asked, what is that? And they said, it's, we have this rule, it's called no mixed bathing. I went, yuck, what is it? I'm not bathing with them, I'm swimming. Yeah, they had rules for that. They had rules, uh, cultural rules. So maybe you had some of the same rules. I had a rule just about respecting elders. When my grandmother walked in the room, I was taught to stand up, just what I was taught to do. If there were no chairs left, I stood up and I gave her my chair. If she didn't want the chair, I did not sit back down. I left the chair open. If I sat in that chair, I would not be able to sit later in the day. <laughs> that was just the culture. It's just the culture. And it's bits of that even carry over today. And I can't even tell you how and why. But it, it just does. And you have a culture in and of yourself. And that weaker brother will have certain pieces about him. And you're saying, I, I, don't know, is, it, it, I don't know where the faith goes and where it doesn't. And I don't know where the line is. That's why each person has to be convinced of what's right. But when you're in the presence of others, each person has to be aware of the weakness of the other. That's what grace does. Grace is kind to other people. We were out... Um, years ago, and we had gone for a hike, and uh, some of the people were falling behind because they couldn't keep up. You know what grace does? Grace falls back. Grace falls back. And uh, you don't have to win at the hike. What you have to do is know that you're building relationships during the hike. Skip down now to verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? You, you, you don't have to judge them. Let Lord judge them, okay? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat. Now, here's one of the great questions is, if I'm saved by grace through faith, and you are, that cannot be knocked down. And this summer or later, I, Lord willing, if we get to it, we're going to talk about eternal security uh, on a Sunday. Because that bond can never be broken, okay? Um, I'll just tell you that right now. But some people ask the question, and it's a great question, what do you do with a person who uh, trusts Jesus? Are they going to be judged? And, and this is a great passage to say, oh, yes, they are. There are two p kinds of people in the world. There are people who are saved people, who know the Lord, and there are unsaved people. There are two judgments in the Bible. And this is the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, back to verse 10. For we will all stand before the judgment seat. Now, this is a judgment for saved people. Okay, so 
This is off, it seems like, that's the word saved, for those of you who can't read really clear English. Unread, unsaved. He just writes what he thinks. Aren't you glad I think good thoughts? Yes. Saved people go to a judgment called the judgment seat. And that's Romans chapter 12, or Romans 14. You'll be judged according to your works for, for what you do, okay? But this is not a judgment as to whether or not you're going to heaven. How do I know that? Because this whole chapter, go back to uh, chapter uh, 14, verse 1. Except the one whose faith is weak. Are these people of faith? Yes, they are people of faith. One considers a day, verse 5, uh, uh, more sacred than another. These are people of faith. So you're going to be judged according to your works, but not as entry to heaven, but for crowns or awards you're going to get when you are in heaven. Okay? Now there is another judgment for unsaved people. Well, I botched that. And it's not called the, great, the judgment seat. It's called the uh, great white throne judgment. And this is in Revelation 20. Now, the great white throne judgment is a judgment according to works as well. And then at the end of the works judgment, you know what they're asked? Whoever's name was not written in the book of life, it has nothing to do with works now, is cast into the lake of fire. So here's the deal. You will be judged by your works, no matter if, if you know Christ or if you don't. That's not what's going to save you. By the way, people say this all the time. Sinners, sinners go to hell. They do. Sinners also go to heaven. You see, being sinless is not what gets you into heaven. It was only Jesus. You see, the reason people go to hell isn't because they sin, because everybody sins. The reason they go to hell is because they don't believe. Okay? When you believe, what does he do? He wipes your slate clean. It's as white as snow. He remembers your sin no more. As far as the east is from the west, he lets it go. So you see, saved people are judged by their works, but not for entry to heaven. That's just for crowns to give glory to God. Unsaved people are judged by their works, and that, at the end of that, if their name isn't in the book of life, they're thrown to the lake of fire. So you, you determine where your works are going to be judged. Okay, I hope you get this. You determine where your works are going to be judged, and you want to be on this side. You want to be at the judgment seat. Because then at the end of that, it's heaven. It's heaven. So, uh, by the way, and the works we're talking about, that people get judged for, go back to verse 10. Why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? We think... Oh, I did, and we have these phenomenal things. You know what the Lord's judging us for? Our attitudes. Look at verse 10. Your judgmental spirit and your contempt. You see, it, it really comes down to what's happening inside of my heart. That, that's why you'll oftentimes hear us even pray, create in me a clean heart. That was David's prayer. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Why? Because I, I want to have a clean heart before the Lord. Skip down to verse 13 now. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on each other. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother or sister. You're just not going to do it. You're just not going to do it. So when I go to lunch with somebody 
and they're a believer in Jesus Christ, but they have a Jewish background. I don't need to order something that a Jew does not eat. I don't have to push them into that. I can let that go. Okay? There's no sense in pushing it. Instead, we honor each other, and that's really one of the judgment calls for us. This makes Christianity the best non-competitive game in the world because it allows us to relax and enjoy each other's perspective and enjoy the value each person brings. And here's what I'm seeing is, just like we see Jesus with his hands on his hips, and then this way you say, well, I see Jesus, but his hands aren't on his hips. His hands are folded like he's not very accepting. And no, that's not the case at all. Not only is Jesus accepting, but his arms are actually folded and linked to other believers. When you come to Christ, Jesus is in the link with other believers. And you believe, but you're also in a family of believers. Jesus' arms are not folded. They're linked with others. Thirdly, because I'm so graced, I can let go of the expectations of those who are far from God, those who don't know the Lord at all. Go back to chapter 12. Pick up at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Get that. I can let go of my expectations and I I can just enter the moment with them and be with them where they are. Uh, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So you're, don't be proud. Don't, you're looking for a way to connect, not a way to disconnect. Verse 17, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Just live so above reproach. Live so above reproach. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Make that your goal. Give up on the retaliation. Give up on, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to keep score. Um, I, I make room for God's wrath. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, verse 19. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Be kind to him. Get that? If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you're heaping coals. That's an old, an old phrase. In other words, their anger, their seethingness towards you will go back on themselves. It almost will, and some scholars say this actually means it will almost warm their own hearts. Your kindness towards them in the midst of the animosity. Uh, I love this. Chapter 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are all summed up in this command. You say, I got all those, and here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the principal thing. Verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Uh, First John would actually say, uh, love is the mark of the Christian. It's what we're known for. I, I love this from 12 to 13. 
It, love is the principal piece. It, it is the summation of all the Old Testament. You cannot go wrong when you love other people. You say, but what if they're different than me? It, it makes the love shine even more. What if they're antagonistic toward me? That makes this love even shine better. They're away from the Lord. They're far from the Lord. Even in the midst of, you would even say, they think I'm an enemy to them. You be kind to them no matter what because they want you to retaliate. They want you to fight. And when you, you get baited into that, that's a bad, uh, bad storyline. It's not going to end well. You see, the picture that I see here is um, sometimes people think Jesus is, has the finger out at you going, I know who you are and I know what you've done. And it's that right there. And that's not what Jesus is all about. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, I'm not doing this. I'm actually saying, look at my hands. See the nail prints. I love you that very much. Now, you have to decide in the body language, because here's the, here are the pictures. Either you see your relationship with Jesus like this, like that, like that, or you see it as this, right? You see him linked together, and you see his open hands. And here's, here's my word to you. When you chart that out, you do some personal examination, because there are days you feel like he's this way, or he's mad at you, or he, but go back and look at Romans 8. There's no condemnation. I, I challenge you this way. The way you view Jesus is the way you're going to relate to people. There it is. If you see him as a, a savior of the world, whose arms are open, ready to hug them, if you see him as a savior who is willing to humble himself and link in with others. If you see him as a savior who is willing to give up his own agenda, look at the nail prints, that's the way you'll view the people around you. And all the issues of your own life will take kind of a second row, third level uh, perspective. Because Jesus will shine through and you will not only just, you will not only just live for him, but you'll have moments of incredible joy knowing that people see Christ through you, which is really the hope. Now, that will happen, and it doesn't happen on easy days. I'll be honest with you. It doesn't happen on easy days. That will happen best on the tough days, when you're challenged, when people push your buttons, uh, when people want to bring out the worst in you. That's when grace has to prevail. And when it does, oh my, it is amazing grace. It is amazing. Let's bow for prayer. And as we pray, would you bow with me? And would you stand? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and we're just between you and the Lord. Ask yourself, God, how do I really view Jesus in my life right now? What is it? What's the posture? Arms folded, arms out. Arms linked, shaking fist. And, you know, we, we could go into detail of a, every little bit of the, the nuances of body language, but you get the point.
Uh, if you've never trusted the Lord, I encourage you right where you are to open your heart to him. The Savior wants to be yours if you'll just trust him. And for uh, many of us in the room, we do trust him, but we still think, I need to keep a distance. And he's saying, no, change comes easier when you're drawing close. And so now we're changing perspective of how we see him. And Father in heaven, now uh, we ask that we would see in our lives a graciousness that wasn't there before because there's no condemnation. May we see a graciousness in our own lives because not only is there no condemnation, but we can be free to let people be who they are and know that there's a God in heaven who could, he changed our lives. He'll work on them too. And we can be gracious with even people who might call us enemies. We don't have to hate them back just because they hate us. And may you begin the work in us at the way we view you. And on this day, Father's Day, may we see you as not only Almighty Father, but ours, our Father. I pray you bless and keep these dear people. May you make your face shine upon them. Give to them peace, I pray in Christ's name. The church says, amen.